Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 45, Legacy Issue 846, written by Nick Spencer, with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell and Andy Owens, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on July 29th, 2020. What's new? Wow, what what a refreshing thing to hear you say Mark Bagley's name. I mean, he was on what, like, you know, like Spider-Man life story, but it's so good to see him back on the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. I'm trying to remember the last time that was true. Probably the 90s, right? I mean, he did Ultimate for so long, but I don't think he's done an ASM issue, like a main story since his 90s run. And boy, has he improved, if you will. Like, th- there was a point in time where I kind of felt like Mark Bagley was kind of phoning it in uh, w- as much as he can, because Mark Bagley is a fast penciler. To me, this is like a guy that is like committed to this comic because, oh boy, this thing is a stunner. Yeah, there's some great stuff here for sure. But let's 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 talk about it from the from the big picture standpoint first, Dan. I mean, I guess the 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 big thing to talk about here is things are finally happening. I mean, you know, we're we're, we're no closer yet to knowing who Kindred is, but I, I I think safely for the first time in months, and not just because of the pandemic pause, but just in general how the story has unfurled over the last year and a half, I feel like things are happening. We're moving towards a crescendo of some sort, right? It feels confident. It feels directed. Like we we are moving towards an end game of some kind, or at least the reveal of what the eventual end game might look like. This feels like a comic with intention and purpose. I don't have to guess at what's going on. Or anything like that. I mean, obviously, I'm going to be guessing at what's going on, but not in terms of like coherence in the the narrative. That's a lot to say on the back of what I think are kind of like two setup issues. Like, of course, this issue is great because all the kind of expositiony work has been handled elsewhere. Now we get to get to the story. To me, the main positive of this story, and I wish I could just like 
shout this into the halls of Marvel's offices is that like, this is a whole story framed from Peter's perspective the whole time. We're getting that, that great Spider-Man narrative and monologuing. He's an active protagonist against overwhelming odds, even if he's not driving the action, which I don't think is typical of a Spider-Man story. He's a lot more reactive as a character, but like I felt very squarely comfortably in the mindset of Peter, what he was weighing, his fears, his anxieties, his values. To me, this is like what every Spider-Man comic should be, you know, barring a few, you know, other examples. This felt like I was in I was in a, the right creator's hands here. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, we just did that episode on the main show about Roger Stern. And, and I feel like there were definitely some Sternisms here in terms of the character and, and getting to the core of who Peter as Spider-Man is. I mean, like his his compassion for Overdrive, even though, you know, Overdrive is a is a is a crook. His reactions to seeing the Sin Eater and kind of evaluating his own past actions. And, you know, I guess if there's a demerit, but like, you know, part of the issue is I actually don't mind it here. This is, I think, more of a strike against some of the those other issues that you were referring to, those exposition issues. But like, you know, especially that last issue of Amazing, which was this very weirdly constructed dream ish setup like we were repeating a lot of the beats from it where even even peter is saying wait is this the dream no this is real doing that made it almost feel a little repetitive but at least getting this all from peter's perspective and knowing that this was happening and he was seeing it and there was no lack of clarity about that at least as a reader made those scenes with overdrive and and the sin eater's appearance go much smoother i mean it's nice to have a kind of concrete locking in what it is that we experienced in 44. Now that does not really change my opinion about 44. There's been this kind of movement in our slack to suggest that like perhaps 44 will be this secret classic issue that we look back on. And to me that the narrative in that was just too bungled to ever really become that. Maybe I'll eat my words at some point, but to me this issue kind of puts it clearly like, Oh, like, you know, these are the concrete things, which is that Peter was dreaming of being in the car with overdrive. We see images of him like going through the windshield or him being buried alive by kindred. But yet he still seems to like maintain the memory of having met kindred in some regard, whether it be through the dreamscape. And to me, all that whole conversation we had about everything being a dream and dreams, 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 this issue, like continues to hammer that home to the point that I feel very unmoored in this issue about like what is a dream and what isn't without sacrificing narrative clarity like we complained about in the kind of previous issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I just just as like a kind of final note on 44 versus this, at least, is I, I, I feel like at some point as this story progresses, my my instinct is that there, the, the purpose behind the way 44 was told is going to be apparent. But that doesn't mean from an enjoyment standpoint that I enjoyed being that disoriented by it. You know, like it's kind of one of those things like, OK, you, you, you're you're doing things differently because artistically that's how you want to tell the story. But that doesn't mean as as the consumer of said art, I liked it because 
it was your, you know, because of whatever your intent and motivation was, you know, like it's not, you know, just because you wanted to do it that way doesn't mean I need to like it that way. <laughs> whereas something like, so whereas something like this is, is more straightforward and, you know, you're hitting some of the same beats, but like I, I, as a consumer, I, I'm more into it because I, I feel like I can follow it more easily. And uh, again, I'm, I'm getting it from a perspective where, you know, that I'm more familiar with, i.e. Peter's perspective. So, uh, you know, again, all good stuff. I really, really enjoyed the setup of this a lot. I, I, I finally feel like I want to get into the meat of the story for once after where after these last two setup issues, I was kind of like, all right, well, I know we're getting something, but do I really want it? Now I want it. So that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Are you still feeling as uneasy about the Sin Eater in this issue as you were in previous issues? You expressed this kind of like tonal mismatch a little bit but like i feel like we're we're this issue definitely again with more clarity kind of points out the the supernatural nature of this character here i mean i know you even have some theories about this you you know if you want to start speculating about i guess you can run run rampant through it but like you know the character feels a lot more not of this earth than maybe what we were getting in that prelude issue which was like kind of like basically giving this character's bio from the real world, but then all of a sudden be like, and he's back from hell and doing stuff like now, you know, now I, I have some doubts about, is he truly back from hell or is this some kind of creation of some sort? But regardless, it's like, okay, I, 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 I get it. I, I, I feel like it's a little more synchronized in terms of, you know, what Spencer wants this character to be versus how he's actually appearing on the pages. I'll get into my, theory because you've kind of set me up pretty well for it here. I think ultimately this character is back from hell as much as back from hell. Anybody could be because there's still the whole chance. This is all a dream or whatever, but in the narrative of this, I think it's, you know, they really want you to think that he's back from hell. And, and I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that's true, but I do think that there's a lot of counter evidence to suggest that there's something else going on here that we're meant to kind of start to pick away at. And what got me thinking about this is kind of the intro of Carly in this story. And, you know, it's great to see Carly back. I think I'm one of the bigger champions of Carly Cooper in the kind of Spider-Man fan space. I just think, she was a character that was handled with a, a fair bit of agency until they kind of dumped on her with all this goblin stuff. But we get a recap of all that here. And, you know, you were mentioning the kind of slow pace of this issue because of all the kind of recapping that we're getting. And that's kind of a, a staple of Spencer's run. And, and I'm OK with that to a certain degree. And I thought here Carly's backstory, if it ends up playing into the story, was good to kind of get because I had forgotten a lot of the details about her father and uh, not being dead and all that stuff. And I felt like if Spencer's reintroducing this, there's a reason. And, you know, her father ended up not actually of co- being come back from the dead. It was a creation of Mysterio. And so introducing Mysterio into the story who we already know is a guy that works with Kindred got me thinking about the Sin Eater. The Sin Eater in this issue is able to disappear and reappear in smoke willy-nilly, right? And to me, that's a power set of Mysterio. Now, certainly it could also be a power set of someone from hell. To me, that seemed kind of interesting, not to mention that he has the green and purple color scheme of Mysterio, but that's not especially unique to him. We were talking about that in the Stern episode 
that we just did. You know, even Cobra has that color scheme. The wound that Overdrive gets, not to skip way far ahead here, the blast from the shotgun does not seem to be bullets. It seems to be, you know, at, at some points it can cause things like the car blows up, right? So it certainly it must have blown up the car. But you could easily fake that, right? Especially if Overdrive is in on the take. You could blow up his car. He survives perfectly fine from an exploding car. And the bullet passes through Spider-Man and hits Overdrive, who then wakes up on the gurney with no bullet wound and not dead. Although Carly says that she saw a wound there and it's not there anymore. So it's probably supernatural, but I wanted to kind of raise a red flag here and say Mysterio, maybe not to mention also that the sin eaters like shawl or whatever you want to call it. That's put over him in on the gurney is green. I don't know many people that work in, you know, CSI or whatever that are putting green colored, like, uh, isn't it typically white, a white sheet you put over people? I, I, maybe that would draw out the blood. I, I don't know. That's my tortured theory that Mysterio is involved in this in some way. Mark, any credence to this? Does this sound completely cockamamie or should I just kind of accept what's on the page? Um, no, I, I think you're onto something there. I, I think Mysterio is clearly being leveraged here you know we're being reminded of what he's able to do i mean not you know not only did mysterio bring back carly's father that was thought to be dead but like it's also worth noting that carly's father was also a cop and stan carter who was the sin eater is also a cop so i I, you know like there's a connection there so what else is going on Uh, who's another cop that is thought to be dead that keeps being rumored about in terms of this kindred story, Dan. (laughs) Well, why don't you get into that, Mark? Because I think there's no way to avoid talking about it because certainly Nick Spencer and his letterer make it super obvious what we're talking about. In terms of another cop that is thought to be dead, it's George Stacy. And we got a very other plain as day lookout in this issue, right? Your favorite Your favorite thing of all time. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm of three minds about this. It's either one of three things. It's either an intentional part of the plot that's invoking Captain Stacy's death for some yet to be seen reason. You know, you can kindred theory about Captain Stacy all you want. I don't know if that really fits for me, but sure. Like that, that's certainly possible. So that's option one. Option two is it's something that Nick Spencer thinks is clever and is doing for people like us to spot it. Like, uh, oh, that's fun. There's another lookout. See me doing clever references. And it's not related to the plot in any way. Or three, it's a happy accident that I pointed out on Twitter. And now he's just doing it to troll me, which I don't think it is. I think there's some intention behind it. I was just say because it seems to be escalating. In both those last two instances, Dan, that's that's a fair bit amount of navel gazing there. I I, I I think I think the attention is probably the first one. This is clearly a reference to Captain Stacy. That, that does that mean Captain Stacy is kindred? No, but like, you know, the 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 pieces of the puzzle are starting to converge here. And like I said, we're getting a lot of focus on the cops on on obviously Spider-Man's failing and kind of, you know, like, so there's, there's, there's something, 
there's something to it. You know what I mean? Like what? Like I wouldn't think we keep getting these references to Captain Stacy, and then on top of it, getting reminders of members of the New York police force that you know Spider-Man had worked with that went rogue. You know what I mean? Like there's there's clearly something to all these pieces connecting. And it's also worth noting that Carly Cooper is a cop, and and her sudden reappearance after being disappeared for for years is is worth noting too. I mean, like again, this is not me suggesting that the person under the mask you will is any of these characters but could these all be revealed as being part of the plot at some point i wouldn't i wouldn't be shocked yeah no me neither and i don't mean to be navel gazy i only i only say that so as to like my discovery the lookout was that i like saw it in an early issue of this run and was like and listed it as an Easter egg on my Twitter. And I was like, I don't even know if that's really an Easter egg. Like, I think I'm just like grasping at straws here. Like just some random thing. Like, oh, I'm finding like, you know, it's the finding coincidences where there's not actually coincidences, but then it actually turned out to be a thing. So I'm like, oh my God, did I like, like incept this? Like, you know, (laughs) but it's definitely like him being smarter than me and me like picking up on that. And he's got some grand scheme for it, for sure. But it was kind of a funny thing because I even I didn't think it was an Easter egg. So now I'm always wondering, are there things that I'm missing that like I think are too small to be Easter eggs that actually are and have been seeded? But now this is as plain as day. This lookout is like a, like an eighth of the page. This <laughs> lookout. The only creator thing that's ever a, a direct ripoff or a reference to our podcast and to this day remains the Red Goblin. Everything else, I think, is <laughs> is, is sheerly coincidental. But anyway, uh, what, what what else we got here? We got we got a Hamlet reference here, Dan, and you know, Lord knows. There's never anything on the nose about referencing Hamlet in your in your art and, and no. creation here, right? <laughs> so, uh, what what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, again, like I said, I don't think anything's an accident in a Nick Spencer comic. And to open this up with a Hamlet or him, you know, at Hamlet, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think like what that could possibly mean. Like, I I think about like, you know, King Hamlet's ghost, a specter that vows to get revenge. Like, maybe that's a kindred illusion, but Hamlet is also kind of about obligations to your father and like fatherly lineage. And that makes me think about like Harry Osborne. I don't know, Mark, anything there for you? I mean, obviously Hamlet is a very rich text. So there's a lot of ways you can go with it. I mean, obviously, you know, part of the plot of Hamlet is basically Hamlet is, is trying to convince people the whole time that he's not crazy what he sees is happening is actually happening and that he's not losing his mind. You know, that kind of sounds like Peter a little bit in, in these, these issues here in terms of, you know, what's, what's a dream and what's real and can this be real? And is this happening? And what is what I'm experiencing actually happening? That's, that's very Hamlet esque, I would say, uh, even putting aside the vengeance elements of it. You know, I guess if you really want to go deep diving here, you know, the, the adversary for Hamlet ends up being his uncle. Uh, so <laughs> if, if, if Peter is indeed the Hamlet in this scenario, could, could his uncle be kindred? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a twist for all ages. Um, so uh, I mean, it would get back to that like core sin, right? Like, is this a twisted version of Uncle Ben that won't let Spider-Man rest because he's still not yet atoned for his 
cardinal sin. I don't want to see that story, but I think, I think, you know, there's certainly a possibility. Though I feel like that's truly the third rail uh, of Spider-Man comics, but we'll see. Are you really kind of caught up in this? Peter is kind of losing grasp of connections to people in his life and his kind of mindset. Because for me, I feel like this issue, like I'm like with it. I don't know that I feel like it's been consistent enough for me to like be to the point of feeling crazy. Like Peter, we've gotten like single stories that have like convinced me of that, but the the through line hasn't been there, but I'm on board. It's still a little too much of a, of a tell and not a, not a show. They're certainly telling that story enough. So, you know, I kind of think whether you truly buy into it or not, it's it's an accepted part of the narrative now. You know what I mean? Like they've 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 told me enough that I accept it, I guess. Does that make sense? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You you you're taking it in. You know, so this sequence with Hamlet is all a part of Peter's kind of um, we find out his plans for how he was going to propose to MJ, though he doesn't explicitly say that. That seems to be like the the subtext, if you will, a pretty obvious subtext. But I did find it interesting that like in, you know, issue 44, where he mentioned the proposal with the ring, it fell out of his hands and it was and Kindred like kind of pushed him to mo- to not mention it, it seems. So I wonder how much that is kind of his subconscious is affecting him to like not even really want to address it verbally. Right. Like is what Kindred wants. And I think Peter even says it here is I feel surrounded by people, but alone isolated. It's been like that ever way ever since she left for Los Angeles, not going to lie. Sometimes it feels like there's something out there determined to keep me and MJ apart. And to me, that big question of like, what does Kindred want? This seems to be it. And it seems to be expanding to like, you know, he can't even begin to bring up, the idea of marriage. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great point. I mean, that's and and this that goes all the way back to your original theory of this whole kindred situation, Dan. So, again, we have lots of fragments of theories that all seem relevant in some way. I guess it's going to be how do these all tie together? Because how can we have something be about the marriage, but also something be about the Stacys and something that be about Carly Cooper and Mysterio? Like, what's how does this all tie together? That's going to be the big magic twist here, I think. I suspect by the end of Sins Rising, we're going to get some like big George. Stacy thing because like police officers see to, seem to be a core part of this story right between Carly and her father and you know sh- the sins of the father with her right the Hamlet thing you know she's following in her father's footsteps and and living up to that you've got like the father stuff with Gwen and, and Captain Stacy and the lookouts and Stan Carter was a detective all these ideas are boiling and I think those are going to come to a head by the end of like 49 and then you know the kindred stuff is gonna kind of gear up through all that Uh, you know if i'm suspecting how all this is going to wrap up it seems like that's where we're headed Mm. to me Mm. you want to talk about this overdrive sequence because this was this was some great stuff i feel this was the the heart of the comic here on top of well there's a lot of hearts of this comic but i really enjoy this sequence yeah i mean if we're going to talk about like mark bagley's art the most stunning thing is his like crowd sequences here with o- overdrive driving through and Spider-Man swinging after him. I mean, this is some great dynamic Spidey action. I love how he has Peter kind of like 
creating the frame with his body, but all the little people that he drew. I mean, I can't even imagine. I know he's a fast artist, but like this is a level of detail you don't typically get in like any comics that are monthly. Bagley's a maestro here. I mean, like like you said, it's just between his ability to work fast, but also to get detail into this. But like also just like I, I really enjoyed the... I mean, to me, this was the best we the best depiction of Overdrive. I think even better than Superior Foes, where he still kind of felt more as just like a, a, a you know. I mean, obviously that's a boomerang book with you know other characters getting their like Shocker and and Beetle getting their moments. But Overdrive, I felt, was always kind of him and Speed Demon were were kind of neglected a little bit. Whereas here, like I'm really getting a sense of Overdrive's character his his remorse for how he got himself into this situation just the the sheer fear you know like the, the the fear is palatable i mean part of that is bagley but also part of that is the writing too i would say like bagley the crash with overdrive where he like saves the kids and tears the car apart i mean it's like really spider-man feels like an like an authentic powerful adult hero but yeah in, in regards to overdrive i love the bit where you know, Spider-Man like suggests like he wouldn't save me, but I'm going to save him. But then Overdrive kind of references back to Superior Foes, where we found out his kind of origin story was that he wanted to be Spider-Man. Like he wanted to be a hero and he fell in hard times and it kind of got him wrapped up in, uh, you know, a villainous spree. And I thought that was a great callback to Superior Foes, like a book that can be a little too obsessed with the Superior Foes characters. I thought this was like a, a very appropriate callback because it's it's more about Spider-Man and, and what he represents than it is about Overdrive. So it didn't feel quite as like uh, navel gazy of, of Spencer's previous work. Yeah, definitely. And then obviously when we find we do see the Sin Eater here, I mean, this is some terrifying stuff. I mean, again, Bagley's work is just ter- is, is just terrific. It's like total total demonic serial killer here this is like jason Voorhees, you know what i mean which is like again not necessarily what the sin eater was originally in the 80s but like in this incarnation of him it works the page where he appears out of like thin air is like awesome how it's framed with him like dead center in every panel and i i also thought it was neat like you know like he's famous for kind of shooting at spider-man in a crowd and I thought it was cool to kind of bring him here in here in a crowd that's kind of dividing to reveal him. It kind of brings back that old threat and those kind of latent memories. And then behind him is this kind of like all star kind of like a, looks almost like a kind of like sleazy lottery kind of place. And that reminded me of like 1980s New York. So it kind of immediately brought me back to that kind of like classic Sin Eater story even just through the, like the, the, the paneling, I thought it was really neat and, you know, a, a cool visual direction. And I guess this is what like makes a professional artist, a professional artist, you know? Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, the, the Gene DeWolf badge on, on Sin Eater. I mean, like, it's just like all these little details that are just like really calling out what a sociopath this guy is. And, and then like, I, I also enjoyed Peter's monologuing about Sin Eater to kind of establish him as like, you know, of all the guys to bring back, it had to be this guy, you know, like it, it, it really kind of le- elevates the threat of him, but not not just the physical threat, because that's not what's so terrifying about Sin Eater. I mean, you know, I think even Spider-Man says here he's fought 
more powerful foes, but like this guy is just a different kind of crazy that's hard to hard to for him to get around, you know, like he's not used to fighting people that are just so cold blooded in how they kill. The book almost kind of references the conversation you and I have about the original senior story that it does feel like a story from Daredevil, right? Like, like he doesn't feel like a Spider-Man villain. You're right to kind of bring that up. It, it, like it almost becomes a part of the text that Sin Eater is like appears from somewhere else. And because of that, it pushes Spider-Man to his limits, which, you know, famously he nearly killed him um, until Daredevil stopped him. So it's like Spider-Man should probably stay in his lane. And there's a really great kind of like discussion between Spider-Man and Sin Eater, if you want to call it a discussion about like who gets to mete out justice and like whether Overdrive will ever face up to his crimes. And, you know, you know, for the character to the character's credit, like Overdrive starts to run away and Sin Eater's right. Like Overdrive will run and won't have to face up to it. And it, it's that kind of punisher thing, right? Like they're going to keep getting away and the only good villain is a dead one. Punisher is a good analogy, but I think also what what separates Stan Carter from Punisher, from Frank Castle, which is, you know, what makes Peter go over the edge with this guy is like the fact that, you know, he will kill a cop or kill a judge or kill, you know, or kill an innocent woman. You know what I mean? Like, like you just don't see that. He's not, you know... Yes, here he's kind of he's going after a criminal, but like that's not the original Sin Eater, which is what makes him so terrifying. It's like like how can someone deem these these institutions of, you know, as being unworthy of living? You know, like that's that's a terrifying thought. Protect right. protecting our so, institutions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a theme we're uh, we're used to handling right now. You know, then we get this moment where Sin Eater blasts some kind of like I mean, I dare say it's a bullet. It's like a like a laser of some kind. Uh, my initial read, and I don't know what yours was, Mark, was that it was some kind of like sin-based weaponry. It like goes through Spider-Man, who certainly is not without sin, but he kind of explains it away later. Like, it's not your time yet. The person who brought me back is going to be the one to deal with you. I thought that was really weird. I had to kind of reread it a couple times to go like, wait a minute, did Spider-Man get injured? I was kind of confused and maybe intentionally so what was your initial reaction to to this and overdrive's death i was definitely confused by it too i was like wait so spider-man got shot and then it was like oh wait no he didn't and it looked like and that was the other thing too like i thought visually it looked like it got uh overdrive in the back of his head but it looks like it was through his chest is that am i am i did i misread that or uh, or i think it was through his chest uh, but i'm not, I, I'm not yeah sure i guess the way it was framed i almost thought like did it get, get like the back of his skull you know what i mean like blow off the back of his head but yeah it, it, either way i mean he does have like a final parting word so if it was through his head he probably wouldn't be able to like impart his his wisdom to spider-man yeah, so I don't know what to make of that other than my Mysterio theory or like the idea that it's like a sin-based weapon, some kind of godly construct. But then Overdrive isn't dead. Like we have this framing mechanism, which is a classic Spencerism of a story within a story where he wakes up with Carly and he doesn't seem to be possessed. Like when I saw that, I thought, oh, his eyes will be white and he'll be like some possessed part of the hell army, but he seems like just kind of like to be alive and be just as confused as everybody else. So I don't really know what to make of that other than starting getting me thinking about Mysterio and 
all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I guess in a weird, perverse way, I was kind of glad it wasn't the death of Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like an immediate undo, which was kind of disappointing. Like, I like the kind of poignancy. And I, I thought, oh, this is cool. Spencer's willing to kill off his own dudes. You, you know what I mean? Like, not that he created Overdrive, but he kind of popularized the character. So I felt like, oh, this really set the stakes for anybody could go in this story. But I guess not. We'll see. I still think there's a certain level of threat to the story, I guess. But are you that worried about the Sin Eater if he's already said he's not going to hurt Spider-Man and the people he kills come back a few moments later? I'm guessing there's a wrinkle that we're going to discover in the next issue. So. Yeah, let's let's wait. Let's um, wait and see before we totally jump off that one. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's give it a grade, Mark. What do you think about this one? I'm going to go B-plus on this. I, I really liked it a lot. Uh, probably one of my favorite single issues of Spider-Man in a while. Uh, I won't go higher than that until I see, a, I guess, a continued streak of it. How does that sound? <laughs> I'm the same way, Mark. I'm giving this one a B-plus. I thought this was really fun. There was a lot of kind of setup-y stuff of like recap pages, but it was like a plus-sized issue, and Mark Bagley's artwork is stunning. This is like if the story continues like this, this is heading into like solid A territory. Exactly. I, that, I think that's where I'm at. I'm like, I don't want to like totally jump into the it's an A, you know, like everything is solved. I mean, like, let's 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 see if the momentum carries. But like, this is definitely a great official start of the arc. <laughs> I feel like I felt this strongly about how Hunted started. So I'm hoping it takes a different trajectory than that story. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, don't, let's not be Hunted. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode, as always, was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? I mean, what's better than that, Dan? I mean, like, you're you're listening to this right now, and we had this conversation, like, weeks ago. Like, come on, what's wrong with you? Sign up. Sign up for Patreon. Yeah, and no better time, because I think we're finally back to kind of a consistent schedule here. COVID-19 be damned. Comics are are regular again. So, uh, yeah, come sign up for our Patreon and join us for this content. So, Mark... Until the Sin Eater pulls a Michael Myers and gores a woman through the middle with his double-barreled shotgun instead of just shooting her, what's our credo? That's dark, man. Uh, <laughs> I, he did it. He did I it. Know. He did it in a Halloween movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.